invite you again to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be uh, finding our place there. In fact, we are drawing near to the end of our sermon series, Seek First, uh, a journey through the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, we will finish it, Lord willing, this evening. Uh, but we find our place this morning in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 23. As you're turning there, let me just say a welcome to those that are in the Life Center. We're so glad that you are there and with us. But we find our place in Matthew 7, beginning with verse 13 and reading down to verse 23. This morning I've entitled this morning's message, Kingdom Life. And as Jesus has been away on this mountain teaching his disciples, really giving this sermon that we have spent all these weeks walking through, he's been talking about what it means to be a part of the kingdom, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's over and over and over again drawn us back to the issue of our hearts. Uh, what has gone on in our hearts and lives? What has happened there? And again this morning, he will draw our attention there. Matthew 7, beginning with verse 13, let's read together. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and, fi and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ra ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to your word this morning, we would pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word and through your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you give us ears to hear what it is you would be saying to us? Not just to hear the message, but God, to hear from you. Lord, if there is a need of change in our lives... God, would you speak to us? Would you bring conviction about that? Lord, if there is a needed decision for you in our lives, would you speak to our hearts? Lord, you speak as you see fit into our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a big question. What do we need to know about life in the kingdom of God? We who would desire to follow Jesus, we who are, would call ourselves Christians or believers, what is it that we need to know about life in the kingdom of God? First of all, the first thing Jesus would have us to know is we have to enter the right way. Look with me, if you will, again at verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. 
How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Jesus is telling all those who are gathered with him, certainly his disciples, others who are desiring or thinking about following him, he is reminding them that there are really two pathways in life. There is the one that everybody goes down. We all live, we do our best, we may try to be good, we may not try to be good, we try to be a little better than our neighbors, maybe we don't. That is the broad way that leads to destruction. And then he talks about following him. And he says if we're going to go the way that leads to life, we're going to have to go through the narrow gate, that we're going to have to be on the narrow way. As I was just thinking on, reflecting on this passage this week, uh, I was reminded of a place. My wife has family in the Atlanta area, and so a lot of times uh, when we are on vacation, we're in the Atlanta area, uh, and uh, several times we have gone to the original Chick-fil-A. Now, uh, that's sort of a pilgrimage for believers, right? You got to go, no, 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 no. But we often go, and uh, actually the original Chick-fil-A was originally called the Dwarf House uh, Restaurant, something like that. And as you would go in, there is a small little doorway that you can go in. Uh, And as I recall, it has a very short doorway, a little narrow way to go in. When I was younger, I used to go in that way. I suspect that if I went there now, I would go around the side and go in the way that is not narrow and not short and not small. When our kids were small, we used to walk them in, and it was sort of fun. And I I thought about that Dwarf House restaurant and going in the narrow, small way. Not convenient, not easy, not something I'd really like to do at this stage in my life. But Jesus calls us, and he says, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, it won't mean going where everybody else is going. It won't mean doing what everybody else is doing but rather it will mean entering through the narrow gate and being on the narrow pathway. Now, as I was reading this week, preparing and reading commentaries, uh, there's a, a lot of disagreement about, uh, between commentators, between theologians, about whether the narrow pathway is something that leads us to the narrow gate or whether the narrow pathway is on the other side of the narrow gate and that we enter the narrow gate and then on the other side walk the narrow pathway. Can I just say to you, it doesn't matter whether the pathway is on this side of the gate or on that side. Here's what we know. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to enter through the narrow gate, and then we're going to live life on the narrow pathway. We're not going to live like everyone else. Jesus is calling us to a different lifestyle, and it's not an easy lifestyle. He says to us, it will take effort, and it will take difficulty, and it won't be just following the crowd. But what is the narrow way? What is the narrow gate? Jesus tells us that he is the narrow gate, that he is the narrow pathway. In John chapter 14, he is discussing with his disciples that he is going to go away and prepare a place for them. He tells them that after he goes away and spends some time away and after he prepares a place for them, that he will return. But as he's preparing them for his departure, he says, now don't worry you know where I'm going, and you know the way. And uh, got to love Thomas. Thomas speaks up and goes, we don't know where you're going, and if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man shall come to the Father but by 
me. You see, in this world, there is the broad gate and the broad way, and there's the narrow gate and the narrow way. And Jesus tells us that he is the narrow gate and the narrow way, that not many will choose to follow him, that not many will repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus. But if you're interested in going to the place of eternal life, if you're interested for the pathway that leads to life, we must go through the narrow gate, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it was sometime last fall that the world population surpassed 8 billion people. I don't even know how to comprehend that. But there are 8 billion people on the earth this morning. Statistics tell us that somewhere in the neighborhood of one and a quarter, maybe one and a half, maybe, maybe not quite one trillion people on the, on the face of the earth claim the name of Jesus or some connection with Christianity. Now, we probably wouldn't say that everybody who, who is involved in that group or responds that way would be believers, but, but one out of seven, I mean, one to seven, one out of eight, one to seven, it is the narrow way. You see, the world is quickly running down the broad way, going through the broad gate, on the way to destruction, Yet Jesus says, if you want to go on the way that leads to life, you have to go through the narrow gate. Jesus is the narrow gate. Here's what matters most in life, my friend. If I could tell you the most important decision that I have ever made, if I could tell you the key to life, if I could challenge and encourage every one of you to contemplate one thing, it is this. What have you done with Jesus? You see, that makes all the difference. There are lots of things that we can do. There are lots of things that we can live for. But there is one thing that will change your eternity. What have you done with Jesus? He is the narrow gate. We have to enter the right way. Secondly, though, we should be careful who we listen to. Look with me, if you will, at verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. We need to be careful who we listen to. Now, I, as I think, I think about uh, pastors, pastors on television, pastors who write books, uh, all of those things. But we also need to be careful who, who we listen to as friends, who we let into our lives, who we let speak into our lives. Even those who say, oh, I'm a Christian. Jesus said that there are those who are wearing sheep's clothing but actually are wolves looking to devour us. That's a dangerous situation, right? If we're sheep, we want to avoid wolves at all cost. I, I don't want to be anywhere near a wolf. I don't, I, as a human, I don't want to be near a wolf. But when I think of myself as a sheep, I certainly don't want to be near a wolf. And Jesus says we need to be on guard against false prophets. You see, there are those who will deceptively try to look like us, but in reality want to devour us as believers. We need to be careful who we listen to, who we befriend. We need to be on guard, as Jesus says. How do we know? How do we know who to listen to? There are several things. First of all, if we're going to listen to somebody, they need to stick with the word. And I mean like stick with the word. There are lots of things that can be preached. In a 45-minute sermon, there are lots of things that we can say. And we can use stories to illustrate and we can tell stories. 
But like you want to make sure that their message and their life lines up with the word of God. We really believe that this is the word of God. This is the message we preach. It's not what Richard thinks. It's not what Richard likes. It's not how Richard feels. But it is how does Richard handle the word of God? And it's not just for preachers. What, what about the people in your life that you listen to about spiritual things? What do they do with the word of God? How does their life line up with the word of God? Jesus says it another way. Look with me, if you will, at verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. Look at their lives. Look at their ministry. Look at what they preach. Does it line up with the Word of God? Is it producing real good spiritual fruit? I have a tree that I planted several years ago in my backyard. I'm of the opinion that red navel oranges are the best oranges in the world. I think they make the best and the sweetest juice. I was weed-eating around that tree yesterday, and I was thinking, I ought to rip that tree out of the ground. You know why? This is how much, how much fruit that tree has produced. I, I was thinking about these verses and thought, I need to just throw it in the fire pit. I need to be done with this, and I need to go somewhere and get a tree that will produce some fruit. That tree is doing no good for me. I've not gotten a single piece of fruit or a single ounce of juice from it. But when we think about spiritual fruit in the lives of people, what are we talking about? Let me invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. I want to read Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26 real quickly. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In the first part of those verses, we see the positive. We see the spiritual fruit that the Holy Spirit will bear in our lives. It's not that we produce these things in ourselves. The temptation is for me to just say, well, I need to have more love. I need to have more joy. I need to have more peace, more kindness, more patience. But I can't produce those things. It is the supernatural work of God through the Holy Spirit of God in the lives of believers that produces this fruit. On my own, I'm like that sorry red navel orange tree in my yard. But when the Holy Spirit came to live in my life, he is a fruit-producing machine. He won't leave me alone. He produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. We see the positive. So if we want to look and see about those that we invite into our lives and those that we know and those we listen to, as we look at their lives, do we see love? Do we see joy? Do we see peace? Do we see patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Because that's what the Spirit of God will do in the people of God. Now, we don't do it perfectly. I've told you before, I don't always have joy, particularly when I'm on 540A. But he's working on me. He really is. And I'm not what I used to be. I'm not all that I will be, but I'm not what I used to be. 
He has produced joy in my life. He has produced peace. He's produced a little patience in my life and kindness and goodness. Not only do we see the positive, at the end we see the negative. Let us not be conceited. Arrogance. Arrogance won't be there. Like the Holy Spirit will not let believers live in arrogance. Like humility is what he calls us to. And so if you're listening to somebody and there's no humility, there's only arrogance, that'd be a little red flag. If there's somebody that wants to tell you everything that they've done right, that should be a little yellow flag. If they've got all the answers, if they know everything, if they've never been wrong, like those are red flags. But let us not become conceited, provoking one another. If, if the person is contentious all the time, like if all they do is have problems, I, I just got a problem. Well, I know, I saw you last week and you had a problem then, and now you got a new problem. And next week, you're going to have another problem. Like, that's a red flag. Envying one another. Envying one another. See, the Spirit of God will produce the fruit of God and the people of God. And we'll be able to recognize it. Like, I've not eaten any plastic bananas. I've not eaten plastic oranges or apples. I've seen them, and sometimes I've been fooled for a minute, but you don't have to get very close or pick one up and go, this is no good. This makes me mad. I want nothing to do with this. And in the same way, when we see those who have come into the people of God, but their fruit is plastic and it's phony and it's not real, we need to be able to discern that. It's impossible to fake spiritual fruit. If you see somebody who's walking in humility, walking with joy and love and peace and patience and kindness, if you see somebody who, when they make a mistake, will in humility say, hey, listen, I was wrong. I'm sorry, and I need you to forgive me of that. If you see that played out over and over and over and over again in their lives, like you just go, I... I know that's not them. I know that's the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And so we need to be careful who we listen to. We need to be careful who we invite into our lives. Fruit is the key. So we have to enter the right way. We should be careful who we listen to. But thirdly, we must be aware that there are imposters. We must be aware that there are imposters. I had uh, something happen in my life several years ago maybe as much as 10 years ago now, but it has stayed with me all these years. My children, when they were younger, had piggy banks, and uh, they would get quarters and change and for all sorts of things, maybe for good behavior, maybe for grades, maybe as an allowance. Uh, maybe the tooth fairy showed up and they got some quarters and things. And so when their piggy banks would become full, well, we would take them. In fact, uh, we would take them to Publix, and we would use that coin machine and then t- turn them in, and then they'd give us a slip and give cash, and then we'd go into the bank, and, uh, and then we would put that money in their savings accounts. I know some of you are already thinking, you know, you pay 8%. Listen, I know, but listen, I didn't want to roll those coins, and so it was worth it to me, and I gave them the 8%. I didn't charge the kids, okay? Don't go there. You're missing the point of the story, all right? So I got the money, and we went to the bank, and we were going to the bank, and as I was handing the money over the counter to put that money in those children's savings account, the lady behind the counter said, "Uh, I'm sorry, this $10 bill is counterfeit. 
And I said, oh, okay, uh, pass it back, and I'll take it back to where I got it. And she goes, oh, no, no. Once they come over the counter, they don't go back. But we have to turn this in, and I think it goes to the Treasury Department, and they verify that it's fake, and, uh, and uh, they destroy it. And she said, now, if by chance we send it off and they see it and it turns out to be real, they'll send it back to us and we'll deposit it in the account. But she said, I'll tell you, it's fake, and you're never seeing this $10 bill again. And she showed me a trick. She held it up, and she said, if you look at the president on his lapel and on his collar, there are ridges. And if you'll run your thumb there on a real $10 bill, those ridges are there. She said, there's no ridges here. Can I tell you, for 10 years, every time I get a dollar bill, I'm like the cashier at the, at the, at the Publix. I run my thumb over those ridges. <laughs> I've been tempted to carry one of those pins that they use and just go over the bill. I can't tell you how many times in the, in the years since then I have checked to see if the money somebody is handing me back has those ridges. Now, $10, admittedly, it doesn't go as far as it used to, and $10 is not much, but it was something because I had to replace it. And dozens of times I've looked to see if the money in my wallet or the money that somebody is handing me back is real or counterfeit because it means something to me. I don't want to go to the bank again and then say, hey, look, I'm sorry, you lost $20. We must be aware that there are imposters. Look with me, if you will, at verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? By the way, can I just paraphrase verse 22 for you real quick? Can I put this in our day? If This is, this is Richard's uh, paraphrase of verse 22. Because I'm not sure that many of us would say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your names, and do many miracles in your name? But you know what we might say? Lord, Lord, didn't I go to church many times? Didn't I sing in the choir? Didn't I serve and teach Sunday school? But here's the deal. You know what doesn't get us into heaven going to church, singing in the choir, or teaching Sunday school? Or maybe some of us would say, Lord, Lord, didn't I serve in the nursery? Maybe some of us would say, Lord, Lord, not only did I go to church, I went on Sunday nights. That's not what gets us into heaven. And so... Jesus, as he's teaching, says on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And they will fill in the blanks with some things. Look at verse 23. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. You see, there are lots of things that we can build our lives around. There are even some religious practices we can build our lives around. But Jesus is drawing our hearts and our minds to the truth that if we don't enter through the narrow gate, church attendance, having a Bible, Sunday school attendance, singing, and prayers just won't get it. Here's what it comes down to. What have you done with Jesus? When you die, I don't know exactly how it'll work. I don't think it's going to be Peter at the gates. But when you die, when you get there, here's the determining factor. What have you done with Jesus? There won't be any other questions on the test. There won't be any other ways in. There will not be any other gates, side gates, back gates into heaven 
The gate into heaven is this. What have you done with Jesus? You see, in verse 22, there were those who wanted to say, we prophesied in your name, we drove out demons in your name, we did miracles in your name. But Jesus brings it down to this. He says, I never knew you. Here's the question for everyone in these rooms this morning, everyone watching online. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today? That is what will determine where you go. Remember, Jesus is the narrow gate. So if we want to walk the path to life, the only way on it is through Jesus Christ. Here's the gospel stated another way. We're all sinners, and the wages of sin is death. But God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus so that whosoever believes in him might not perish, but might have everlasting life. The question is not what have you done in the church house. The question is not how many times have you been to the church. The question is not what songs have you sung What classes have you gone to? How many Bibles do you have? The question is, what have you done with Jesus? Now here, I don't want to take these verses and cause anybody to doubt. Can I tell you what I want to do? I want to take these verses and make sure everybody is confident in their faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're not 100% sure about your salvation, you can be today. If you're here today and you don't know which pathway you're on, are you on the narrow or are you on the wide? You can know for sure that you're on the narrow way, that you've entered through the narrow gate because you can know Jesus is your Lord and Savior today. Repent of your sins and confess Jesus is Lord and Savior. That's entry through the narrow gate. That's crouching down, entering through the narrow gate. Somebody said to me this morning, the narrow gate is Jesus wide. It's Jesus wide. If you want to be on the path to life, the way to get in is by repenting of your sins and placing your faith in Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this, this passage. That as you know those who would be interested in following you, as you know those who might rub up against Jesus and the church, that you wanted to make sure everybody knew that it was really a heart issue, that we would be confronted. And it's not about all the other things we do, but it's about what have we done with Jesus. Lord, this morning... During this time of decision, maybe we need to come and make sure that we've repented and placed our faith in Jesus. These altars are open. You can come and pray. I'd love to pray with you. I know over in the Life Center, Pastor Adam would love to pray with you. Question is, for each of us today, what have we done with Jesus? Lord, we give this time now to you, and we ask it all in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to stand, and we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. The Lord's laid a decision on your heart. Please be obedient to him this morning. Let's stand.
As we prepare to leave this morning, let me just let you know, I'm here. If you're wrestling with whether you know Jesus, whether you're on the narrow path or the broad way, and you want to talk more about it, I'd love to talk with you about it. You can call the church office, make an appointment with me. You can call the church office, and they'll give you my cell phone, uh, and you can call me. I'd love to pray with you, talk with you, open scriptures and read it with you. Uh, I don't want you wrestling there alone. The reason we're together as a church family is so that we can encourage and help others along the way, point them to Jesus. I'd love to talk with you more about that if the Lord's leading. Chuck, would you come and close us out in prayer, dismiss our service, and also pray for our offering, please, sir. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we can gather. We thank you for the message that we've heard. And Father, as we walk through that gate, we know that we'll come in to the sheep pen where you keep us and mature us and grow us. So Father, we just thank you for that. We ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to guide us and direct us. And Father, as we serve you, we bring our tithes, our talents, our offerings, our gifts, our love for you. And Father, we just give you praise for all these things and ask that you continue to grow us and guide us. In Christ's name we ask these. Amen.